What a beautiful song. Thank you, Tony. That leads right into my message this morning, which is on Joseph. I'm kind of working through the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, just warning, next Sunday is the Sunday before Christmas. And every Sunday before Christmas, what do I do? A monologue. That's right. So I'll come out in a costume next Sunday, so don't freak out if, you, if I look strange or act strange or whatever, any more than usual. But it's always a fun way to tell the Christmas story from a little bit different perspective. Joseph is ne the neglected figure. Matthew 1, 18 through 25 is the passage that Tony Sung came from. Matthew 1, 18 through 25 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you in your wisdom for choosing a couple like Mary, a virgin, to bear your son, and a man like Joseph who could believe and trust even when he did not understand to help raise your son in this world. Help us like Joseph, even when we don't understand, to trust and believe and love. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Joseph, the neglected figure, forgotten figure. He's the one at the nativity scene that we tend to overlook so readily. Um, counting up names in the Bible, David, the, the most famous king of Israel, was mentioned 1,118 times. Moses, who led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, is mentioned 740 times. Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, mentioned 306 times. Solomon, the wisest man who lived 295 times his name is mentioned. How many times do you think Joseph's name is mentioned in the Bible? Twelve times. Twelve times the earthly father of the Son of God. And after Luke 2:48, where he and Mary take Jesus to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, which was their custom to do, and Jesus remains behind, and Mary and Joseph come back looking for him, and he says, you know, surely you knew I had to be about my father's business. Luke 2, 48, Jesus is 12. That's the last time Joseph is mentioned in scriptures. 
He drops out of sight completely. And, and I, I've had children come up to me and ask me from time to time, what happened to Joseph? Where's Joseph? What, and, and the truth is, we just don't know. He's not mentioned in the scriptures. If he died early, I'm sure uh, mortality rates were high in that day without medicines. Uh, Catherine got an antibiotic this week. And I, you know, I said, how did we ever survive without antibiotics? She said, I don't know. I'd have been dead a long time ago. And, you know, that's what happened with people in 2,000 years ago without medicines. Uh, they just, they died early. So may, maybe Joseph died and his, he's just not mentioned anymore after Luke 2:48, when Jesus is 12. But even in 12 years, you know, a child's character and their personality and their work habits and their study habits are so well ingrained. And I'm sure Joseph's mark was strong on Jesus, was deep upon Jesus because the influence in his carpenter shop he had on this young, this young man, this son of God. So many folks have, have overlooked Joseph. I mean, Protestants, we tend to overlook Mary. Everybody overlooks Joseph. He's just ignored by everybody. But there's some characteristics about Joseph I want us to look at this morning that made him the perfect choice to raise God's son. Mary was the perfect choice to be the mother. Joseph was the perfect choice to be the earthly father. First of all, Joseph knew how to treat others. There's a lot going on in Joseph's mind here. Joseph, there's a, there's a technical Hebrew word here, was a tzedakah. Joseph was, a, it says in verse 19, Joseph being a just man, some translations say being a righteous man, the Hebrew word, it's tzedakah, and it's not just an adjective, meaning that he was a good man. It is a technical religious word, tzedakah, for somebody who meticulously observes all the ordinances of the law. A tzedakah was somebody sort of like a Pharisee, kind of like a scribe along that same line, who was looked up to by the, the Hebrew people, who is admired for how well he observes the law and obeys the law. And, and all these things, Joseph was an observer of the law, and he was very careful to do so. Now, this particular Sedekah named Joseph had a problem because his fiancée is pregnant in a village where everybody knows everybody's business. And so what's he going to do? He's righteous. He observes the law. If he follows the law, he puts her away. If he does not follow the law, he opens himself up to ridicule. Everything, his reputation, everything he had worked throughout his life to establish is going to be trashed. No one will respect him anymore because he's taking this woman into his home who's pregnant. He doesn't know what to do. He could have announced her transgression and renounced their engagement and thereby rescued his reputation that he had been so careful and diligent to build. But there is something unusual about Joseph that God knew. He knew that Joseph cared more about people than he did the law. That was what Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was in that day. You value the law more than people. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And you elevate the law. You think the law is so important and, and you run over people. 
You put this yoke, this burden upon people that they cannot hope to carry. And you demand it of it. You expect them of it. But God knew Joseph was not like them. He was a righteous man who still had love and had compassion. And he knew how to treat people. You know, you can tell a lot about folks by the way they treat others, particularly people who are vulnerable, particularly people who can't do anything for you in return. You can tell a lot about a man or a woman, how they treat, I don't know, a custodian or, or someone who, you know, they, they look down upon, someone who's not as important as they think they are. But Joseph was one, even though he was a righteous. What if God hadn't chosen a righteous man? The people would have complained about that. You, you chose somebody who was not an observer of the law. So how can this, this, this man you call Jesus be holy or righteous? Because, you know, you brought him into a home where the law was not observed, where the practices of, of the faith were not observed. So what did God do? He chose somebody who, who was religious, who observed the law, but did not value the law more than people. And there are few people in this world like that. How about us? How well do we treat others? How well do we love others? We have expectations. We have standards. What do we do when somebody doesn't measure up? Do we write them off? Do we cast them aside? Do we think less of them? Joseph was the right choice to be the earthly father of the Son of God because he was a, a good man, a righteous man, a holy man. But he still loved people more than the law. He knew how to treat them. The second thing that was special about Joseph was that he, he was able to believe in miracles. He was able to believe. That's a big step, just believing. For a moment... Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Tony's saying, what a strange way to save the world. All the things that were happening. I mean, here's a simple girl. Here's a small town. Here's a stable. Here's a manger. And God is placing his only begotten son on earth in such ordinary circumstances as these. And here comes Mary. She and Joseph, it says the word is betrothed, and it's not just engagement, it's engagement with contractual obligations. It's engagement with the law behind it. So Mary's in, in betrothed to Joseph, and she comes to him and says, she's pregnant, she's with child, and that floors Joseph because he assumed they had a monogamous relationship, that they were going to be together and only with each other. But then she goes on to tell him how she became pregnant, how it occurred. Joseph is staggered, and thankfully, he has a dream. And in the dream, an angel of the Lord comes to him and confirms that what Mary had told him is true. Now, it's not a miracle necessarily that so much so that this is how Mary became pregnant through, through God, through the Holy Spirit, because God can do anything. I think an even greater miracle is that Joseph was able to believe 
what God had done. That God had done the impossible. God does impossible all the time. It's when we believe the impossible that becomes miraculous. And so Joseph did something really incredible here. He believed it and he acted on it. And it says he took Mary to be his wife, did not know her until she had borne that son and called his name Jesus. Verse 25. A little boy came home from Sunday school one day and his mother asked him what he had learned in Sunday school. And he said, well, we learned today about how God saved Moses and the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And the mother said, oh, really? Well, tell me that. And she, he said, well, he said they, the, Egyptian, the, the Hebrews were, were fleeing from Egypt and they got to the Red Sea and, and Moses had some men build a pontoon bridge and they walked across, all the Hebrew people walked across the pontoon bridge safely and got to the other side. And then when the Egyptians were on the pontoon bridge, Moses sent a demolition team in and blew up the bridge and all the Egyptians on it. And the mother kind of scratched her head and said, are you sure that's what your Sunday school teacher taught you? And he said, well, no. But you'd never believe it the way he said it. When's the last time you believed something that only God could do? You know, I've got to admit to you, I'm, I'm kind of a left brain, real logical, real rational thinker. And so I see things, I want to know what the cause is. I want to know what the effect. I want to, I want to put things together and for everything to fit nicely within my parameters of the natural law. Everything has to fit. Everything has to work. And then every once in a while, I'll see something that doesn't make sense take place. What's our tendency when something like that happens? Well, we rationalize it. We say it's a coincidence. Um, you know, there, there must be another explanation. And all the while, what is happening is a miracle is taking place before our eyes. And we just don't have eyes to see. We don't have the eyes to believe. When's the last time that you saw a healing take place and the doctors scratched their heads and said, we can't explain this? All tests, all evidence say something else should be happening, but this person's been healed. How often do you see that? How often do you see a family that's, that's torn apart and at odds with each other and miraculously come back together and be reconciled and restored and put back together? How often do you see a church come together, which is the body of Christ, and miraculously go out into the world and do things and minister and do missions in ways that they could never do alone? How often do you see a person come down the aisle of the church and be miraculously and gloriously saved from their sins? and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life in heaven. Every one of those things is a miracle. And if we don't give God the glory when those things happen, then we're robbing him of the glory that is due him when the miraculous occurs. We just have to see it when it happens. We have to believe it. Joseph was one who woke up from the dream. You've had a dream before and thought to yourself, was I imagining that? Did that really happen? Joseph could have walked away from that dream and said, that must have been a, a fantasy of my own imagination and done nothing. He could have done that. 
But instead, he chose to believe in the miracle, in the dream that the angel had, had told him, and act on it. So when's the last time that you saw God do something that only God can do and give him the glory and the credit and the benefit of it? You don't know how often miracles happen? Every day. Every day a miracle happens. And if you just look around and see it and attribute it to the, to the creator who did it, to the healer, to the reconciler, to the comforter, to the savior, then you'll see a miracle for what it is and give God the glory. Don't rob him of that privilege. So Joseph treated people with love over the law. He was able to believe in miracles. And finally, Joseph was willing to fulfill the role that God gave him. You know, some people wait their entire lives for a chance at a leading role and miss all the supporting roles they could have had along the way and had a chance to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We have so many people who want to be chiefs and not enough who want to be the Indians. We have so many people who want to be in charge and not enough who are willing to serve. Following Christ, friends, is all about, all about servanthood. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to get down low and serve. Joseph did not produce the Christ child, but he was the protector of the Christ child. God chose Joseph, of all the men in the world in that day, to raise his son. It's kind of like he's putting his son intentionally up for adoption. And he picked a couple, Mary and Joseph, and said, I'm going to entrust my most precious possession to you because I think you can do the best job of raising my son to do what he has to do. And Mary and Joseph did that. <clears throat> and so Jesus grew up and he saw Joseph working, worshiping, faithful to his wife, protecting his children, doing all the things a husband and father should do. Joseph did. In America today, it seems like we're so caught up in the American Idol syndrome that it's all about me. And I want the spotlight on me. And I want somebody else to do the work. I don't care who it is. If we have to pay somebody, that's fine. Just don't ask me. Because I'm the idol here. And I want recognition for it. That's not what Joseph was about at all. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the missionaries William Carey and Andrew Fuller. And I told the story about how Andrew Fuller went back home to England while William Carey, who was, William Carey is really the father of the American missionary movement. Began, I think he went to India first and was telling people about Jesus. And Andrew Fuller went home to England and helped raise funds to support William Carey's work. But let me back it up a little bit further even before then. Andrew Fuller was raised in England and he broke out of a, a hyper kind of Calvinism that said 
if people are going to be saved, God can do it very well without our help. Fuller broke out from that, and he realized that God wanted to save the whole world, and if God included all people in his desire for salvation, then it was up to us to go and tell them. And Andrew Fuller convinced William Carey of that, and had that never happened, the modern missionary movement probably would have never started. But Fuller realized that God desired to save the world, and he taught that to William Carey, and Carey goes out and becomes the father of the modern missionary movement. So let me ask you a question. Which of those two men is more important? William Carey or Andrew Fuller? They both are, aren't they? They both are. William Carey, who did the work, Andrew Fuller, who played a key role behind the scenes, sort of, but was influential in William Carey's decision to become a missionary. And that's the way it is today. You might not be the person on the front line, but you might be somebody who's holding that line together, who's encouraging, who's supporting. This guy, missionary in England right now, did you see how passionate he is about reaching? London has people from all over the world. And in order to be able to work with those people, he counts on the cooperative program. He counts on the lifeline of your prayers and your support. It might not seem significant, but every person has a responsibility, has a role to play. All of us have important jobs to do right here in church. And when I think about the responsibility we have of reaching Tifton and Georgia and this nation for Jesus Christ, I can't do it by myself. Our church staff can't do it by ourselves. And it really doesn't matter if you have a leading role or a supporting role. They're all important. There are no unimportant parts of the body of Christ. And so often we seem to be caught up in this mindset that somebody else needs to do it. I'm doing enough. I'm doing this little bit here. and Let somebody else do that. No. It's all about doing what God calls us as the family to do. We all have roles to play. And we all have a responsibility to play them. And every role is important. Every role is essential. Because if one person doesn't hold up their end of the load, what's going to happen? It's, it's going to be a heavier burden for the few who are left, and they're going to get tired and drop it, and things are going to go left undone. Joseph didn't say, I want to be front and center at the nativity scene. I want the focus to be on me. I want it to be all about me. Joseph said, God, whatever, whatever you want me to do. Mary said, let it be to me according to your will. And when Joseph woke up, it just says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. He was available, and he was obedient. He listened, and he responded. That's, what, that's the kind of people God can use. People who are available and are willing and obedient. It might not be what you consider to be the most important job in the world. But let me tell you, if God's calling you to do it, it's important. And if he's calling you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. So don't say you can't or you don't have the gifts, the ability. 
Because God doesn't call somebody to do something that he doesn't enable them to do successfully. So what is it that God's calling you to do? What role do you need to plug in and get involved in? It might not be one out in front, but it's an essential role because those behind the scenes make everything else happen. And that was a role that Joseph was willing to take. Not front and center, but back and to the side. And he did it. God knew he would. And that's why he chose him. So Joseph, what a, what a tough position he was put in. A lesser man would have undoubtedly put Mary away. And she would have been left um, the object of derision, may, maybe even be stoned. God's purpose would not have been thwarted. He would have come another way. But this was his first choice. And he knew that, that Mary would say yes. And he knew that with an explanation, Joseph would say yes. And he knew they would be the perfect two parents to entrust his only begotten son to raise. Joseph, he treated others with love. He believed in miracles. And he was willing to take the role that God gave him, even though it was a lesser role. He was just available and willing to serve. How about you? How are you with treating others? How are you with miracles? How are you with taking the role that God has assigned you. There's something for everybody to do. It's up to us to do it. Let's bow together. Father, we fail in, in so many different ways. We kind of uh, walk past those that we look down upon. And if they don't live up to our expectations or fulfill our desire for them, then we have even less to do with them. And God, forgive us for seeing miracles that are wrought by your hands and pass them off every single day as being just coincidental or um, some other natural explanation when in reality it is you intervening in our universe and doing something contrary to nature. And performing a miracle. And God forgive us for going along with this culture which has, which has so indoctrinated us into believing that if we aren't the one in charge, if the spotlight isn't on us, if it's not all about us, then we, we don't need to have anything to do with it. Give us more of a servant mentality. Give us more of a desire just to be used in whatever way, in whatever place. There is a need. If there's a need and you have gifted us in certain areas, 
Help us roll up our sleeves and go to work. If it's in the nursery, if it's um, in our children's wing, if it's in our music ministry, if it's in our education ministry, if it's working with youth or teaching a Sunday school class, God, I, I just believe that you equip every person in the body of Christ to do something. So help us be willing to take that role that you have given us and fulfill it with joy, exercising the gifts of which we are stewards. Help us be good ones. Help us think about Joseph and learn from him how to be a faithful servant. Of course, in your name we pray. Amen.